0: So, we are mostly all going back to school tomorrow, getting back in the swing of things. I think there are, there's one school district or two that starts next week, but yeah, uh, most, I think most kids are going back to school tomorrow, and that got me to thinking um, over these uh, next few weeks as we kind of get back into the, get back into gear for the school year about... Uh, ways that we could think about that here in Common Ground. And I thought about, well, what if we did a little Christianity 101 course, did a little crash course here, and I started thinking through, well, if I was to boil it down to three or four major points, what would that be? And I kind of uh, came down, if you look on the front of your bulletin, to these four things, that to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian means that we follow Jesus, that we live in community together in the midst of following Jesus, that we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. That Those, those are kind of the um, pillars, so to speak, of our faith. And if, if we could boil it all down to a few things, I think that's where we would come to. And so I want to start today by talking about the first one, what it means to follow Jesus. And Jesus, in this passage, is talking about what it means to follow him. And it reminds me, this passage reminds me of when you would get the syllabus on your first day of class. And you're sitting there, especially in college, I can't remember how all it works now in high school, but at least in college... You would, you would go to your first day of class and you would get the syllabus and your first couple days you're trying to gauge, alright, how hard of a semester is this going to be? right? and you're gauging like how hard is this class going to be and you start flipping through and saying okay there's a paper there there's a test there, you know, so on and so forth and, and hopefully you don't keep flipping and keep flipping and keep flipping because that would be bad news right? you like the, the short syllabus, the, you know, the two-page syllabus, that's the good kind, right? Well, I remember one, one class, one time, uh, we got the syllabus and this one line just really stood out to me and kind of horrified me. And it was, there will be 12 pop quizzes throughout the course of this semester and you must be present for at least 10 of them. I think this was just an evil ploy by the professor to make sure that you attended class Because you never knew when you were going to get one of those pop quizzes. At any rate, the syllabus kind of, it outlines the expectations for the class. And it tells you exactly what you need to do to pass or fail or get a good grade or a not so good grade. If you do everything presumably well, then you should get a decent grade. And it's kind of on you whether or not you make that happen. And so I think in this passage, Jesus is outlining the syllabus for what it means to be a disciple. He starts out by saying, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he or she must hate father and mother and brother and sister and spouse and children. And you must carry the cross. And you must count the cost. And finally, give up all that you have that is a tough syllabus now to be fair I do think Jesus is using hyperbole here to make a point he's exaggerating to make a point that nothing no matter what area of life we're thinking about if you want to be a disciple of Jesus anyway then Jesus has to be the priority in all areas of life It says in the first verse of this passage that there were large crowds following him. He was walking along the road and there were large crowds following him. And just prior to this passage, he had been uh, at a couple of dinners with uh, some of the religious elite of their society. They were called Pharisees. And he noticed some things uh, about this dinner, how the guests chose the places of honor, how they... Uh, situated themselves and how they invited the best of the best. And Jesus, in everything that he noticed, tried to turn all those things on their head. So he wasn't exactly winning friends in that (laughs) instance. You know that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Well, Jesus kind of was doing the opposite. And I think he's doing the opposite again here. These large crowds are following him. And he wants them to realize that he's not a superstar. He's a savior. And there's a big difference. I think he'd gotten this reputation of being a healer, of being someone who preached well and drew crowds in that. And these large crowds, Jesus turned and thought, I think... This is not what I'm all about. I'm not about having the best place. I'm not about power. I'm not about glory. I'm I'm not about inviting all of the best of the best people. I want to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, he says in this chapter 14. And so I think there is a sense here that Jesus is trying to thin the herd a little bit. And so, he lists four areas, hyperbolically, again, in which we need to prioritize our identity as Christ's disciples. In family, with ourselves, with society, and then, finally, our possessions. But more generally speaking, just everything else. (laughs) With our family, we need to uh, be following Christ first in everything with our families. That our relationship to Jesus, our identity as Jesus' followers, are first and foremost even in our family units. Or especially in our family units. We, t- we spend all summer talking about dysfunctional families, right? And how crazy it can get sometimes. We've got to keep Jesus first. With ourselves, Jesus says, take up the cross and follow me. That is a self-emptying act. An act of letting go of your desires in place of Christ's desires. Jesus says again early in this chapter, when you put on a banquet, instead of inviting all the powerful people, invite The poor and the lame and the blind. Jesus's priorities are sometimes different than ours. And then, so the third thing, the third area of life is the rest of society. So it starts with ourselves, our families, and then the rest of society. Following Jesus at times puts us at odds with what society values. That's what the symbol of the cross is. It's a symbol of society's rejection of a person. Where to live into rejection in order to follow Christ. That's kind of an oxymoron. And finally, Jesus says, unless somebody gives up all their possessions, they cannot be my disciple." I think this is just a blanket sweep statement. Everything else needs to belong to God. Everything else falls in line behind following Jesus. So Jesus asks, do you really want to be my disciple? All you large crowds who think this is uh, just a nice show. Look through the syllabus carefully and decide. And then he tells two stories. Jesus tells the story of, if you were going to build a house, wouldn't you first sit down and figure out the cost and figure out all the supplies that you need before building it? You know, my wife and I are are talking about building a a little addition onto our our patio in the backyard and putting a little pergola up and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, we've been talking about, well, should we do it a like wood deck or should we just extend the concrete out? Should we go all the way around or the, the corner of the house or just go to the corner of the house? And how far out should we go? So on and so forth. And we're coming up with all these plans. We've got to draw them out and we've got to figure out what materials we need. And if we uh, don't have the money in the, in the bank account for it, how foolish would we look if we got half of it done and couldn't finish it? You invite guests over, and they go out and look at your patio and go, what were you thinking? <laughs> you obviously didn't know what you were getting yourself into. I think there's another show on, on TV where this one guy, um, Mike, I can't remember his last name, but um, he, uh, Mike Holmes, that's who it is. Holmes on Holmes. And he goes in and he fixes up all of the crazy stuff that, somebody did before because they didn't know what they were doing because they hadn't planned out and you he walks into these half-finished renovation projects and that's what he does is finishes them and figures out everything that's needed and does it right even though there might be a huge gap in the roof or whatever the case may be so Jesus is talking about the same kind of thing if you're going to set out to build something you figure out what your costs are going to be, what all you need, because if you just build a foundation, everybody's going to come along and laugh at you. And he tells the story of the, a king who wants to go out to war, and he realizes he's got 10,000 troops, and he's going up against the king with 20,000 troops. How foolish would it be for the king with 10,000 troops to go up against the other with twice as many? You would meet certain defeat. So Jesus is saying, count the cost before you commit to being my disciple, because I need to be first in your family, first in your own self, first in society, and first in all the rest that you have. And in fact, Jesus is going a step further than that and saying, not only do you need to count the costs of these things but you you need to reject all that doesn't apply to me why would jesus say this what is it what is jesus motivation here what does this have to do with us today why is jesus putting out such a tough syllabus I think it's because Jesus recognized that if he had a few of the right kind of people or a few of the people that really understood what it means to follow Jesus and were open to God's grace in order to do so, that that was far better than a large crowd who didn't really understand what it meant to follow Jesus. Because the rest of the story is that Jesus actually goes on to do all of the things that he says one must do to be a disciple. He is eventually hated by those closest to him or despised and rejected by his close the, the religious elite. He himself carries a cross and is crucified and empties himself. He himself is rejected by society. He himself gives up all he has. In the greatest self-emptying act of love the world's ever seen. Thankfully, we know the rest of the story to that story, and that is that Jesus eventually rises from the dead and conquers sin, death, and evil. And we have our eternal hope in that. My best friend when I was in, uh, living in Las Cruces, New Mexico, um, you know, I was homeschooled back then, and um, I would go over to his house every day during the lunch hour, we'd play basketball and stuff, but one of our favorite rituals was to eat our peanut butter jelly sandwiches and turn on the radio and listen to Paul Harvey. <laughs> and he always started with, and now for the rest of the story, right? It's a good thing. We know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that Jesus ends up carrying the cross and is deserted and gives up all he had and shows us the great lengths that God is willing to go to prove God's love for us as a Savior, not just a superstar. Jesus, the Savior. And the great thing is that we are part of the rest of the story. By God's grace we are made new when we open ourselves up to the spirit. And we are able to imitate Christ and relive his life in our own. To become Christian little Christ. That's what Christian is. We ourselves are able to do that by God's grace if we open ourselves up and respond to God's movement in our lives. We often talk about following Jesus and wanting to be like Jesus. And and I don't think it works like, you know, Mallory loves to make cookies, especially sugar cookies that you can cut out and they stay really maintain their shape and all that. I don't think Jesus is a cookie cutter savior wanting to make exact imprints of himself. I I thought that for a long time. I actually don't think it's that way. I think, instead, if we are able to allow ourselves to be open to Jesus' spirit, Jesus' spirit works more like a seed that is planted in us that helps us grow and bloom and represent God and God's self and Jesus and Jesus' character in our own, each of our own unique individual ways. And so the call here is to respond, to say yes. Because the rest of the story is that here we are now, 2,000 years later, the church, wanting to follow Jesus and i think jesus imagined a world where everyone gave of themselves loved others unconditionally went to the greatest lengths possible to show love imagine what that would do to this world filled with hatred and bigotry and division and strife and violence. That would change things. And by God's grace, we get to be part of the rest of the story.